0: Welcome to A Regenerative Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and today we're talking to Dan Kittridge. Dan is a farmer from the East Coast, and he also represents Bionutrient.org and their amazing work bridging the gap between soil and nutrition, trying to help Jumpstart to evolve the process by which we grow food by which we evaluate food by which we really are regenerating our bodies i mean it goes that deep it goes all the way this is an amazing discussion there's revelations in this talk that you're not gonna want to miss if you're into soil at all you're gonna want to stick around if you're a big fan of dr elaine ingham you're gonna want to stick around especially when we start discussing how all soils have everything that plants need but there's like a really vital caveat to that it's true totally but there's conditions and caveats and we'll we'll dive into it you're not going to you're going to be totally riveted dan does such a great job the bio nutrient meter is such an incredible innovation it is literally the stepping stones towards proving what is best and being able to really selectively choose what's best and then as a market start driving demand towards what's best in, in a way that is just going to make every all the boats rise and all the farmers, you know, grow better and better food. So the vision that this casts into the future is stunning. And I don't want you to miss it. So stick it out, stay for the whole thing. You will be rewarded. And I will talk to you at the end. Here we go with Dan Kittredge. I mean, my understanding is that, you know, the plant it's the, it's the classical Elaine Ingham. They put out these uh, exudates that they form, you know, as part of photosynthesis. And these, ed- yep. and and also root, you know, root exchanges too feeds into their exodus palate, of course. But they're putting out these, you know, primarily sugars and carbon, and a little bit of proteins and whatnot. And it's and what they're doing is they're attracting bacteria and fungi, and then they embody those nutrients. And then when they are decomposed or digested and processed the secondary waste, the second level where the protozoa is really getting in there and shredding things, digesting things, um, is releasing it as a plant soluble nutrient. Mm-hmm. And yep. so that's that's kind of where we are, you know. Um and I I really wanna know more <laughs> always. Um that's where the that's where the so, I
1: mean, I generally, when I'm giving my broad strokes um, explication of what I understand, um, skim over the nuances with all the different, you know, um, ciliates being eaten by the protozoans, you know, peeing out various nutrients and all that sort of profound, you know, detail that is that now exists that was just not known. You know 30 years ago or whatever um but you know i basically say that the plant if it needs certain elements like copper will exude uh plant root exudates that are food for microbes that are copper solubilizers who then um you know eat it died you know grow reproduce go about their merry lives and um yeah functionally those nutrients that were its body are sucked up by the plant and it's used to build the plant's body with um so the question about you know what where does the plant go from there i mean there's um you know i mean i'm not sure how much you go into biochemistry and enzymes and all that kind of stuff but um from a practical standpoint for the farmer um you know, pest and disease pressure is a logistical hurdle issue, and there's various ways of dealing with it, you know, organic or non-organic, insecticides, you know, fungicides, etc. But my understanding is that when the plant is able to build sufficient levels of what are called plant secondary metabolites, it becomes physiologically indigestible to those pathogens. In fact, when the plant is able to build high levels of complete carbohydrates, it becomes resistant to the phytophthora, and misectonia, and Pythium and Alternaria. When it becomes able to build complete proteins of amino acids, it's able to be resistant to the larval forms of insects. So when it's able to build good lipid levels, it's resistant to the mildews and blights, um, et cetera. But building those compounds in its body requires a full suite of, of elements. Um, at the core of those enzymatic, you know, processes to, to be able to build protein out of amino acids, to be able to build carbohydrates out of sugars, et cetera. Um, and so it's that intelligent symbiotic ecosystem between the plant and the microbes that facilitates access to the nutrients necessary to build these compounds, which are functionally nutritional compounds um, for us animals. And what we call plant secondary metabolites in science you know, are practically experienced as flavor and aroma. Carotenoids, terpenoids, alkaloids—you know, phenolics, whatever—are aromatic and flavor compounds experienced by us as animal, and um, so we are hardwired with the ability to discern whether a carrot is relatively devoid of nutrients by it being bland or bitter or soapy, or having that rich carrot flavor. And uh, functionally, there's a really nice correlation between. The plant having that rich carrot-y flavor and a well functioning microbial ecosystem, um, and the carrot which has a poor flavor and a poorly functioning microbial ecosystem. So, um, part of why I think Elaine is so interested in our work is because what we're saying is it looks like the only way for crops to be grown well is to have a well functioning microbial ecosystem, so a food web. Um, and if we've got a way in which economic leverage can be applied to support that increased soil health soil life health um that's a that's a positive effect that's using market drivers using you know real world forces to support these things we're all really passionate about so um I'm not sure if that uh, addressed any of the points you're questioning this, this or, or exactly, not. This was
0: exactly, exactly what I needed to hear. And I know my students and our listeners are, are, are going to be ecstatic when they hear this because um, that confusion persists, I feel like. I think that there's the way that you just bridged these um, these modalities of understanding is going to allow so many people. And I feel like that's what it is. We're really allowing people to be okay with being open to m- multiple like vocabularies multiple you know different teachers <laughs> to learn from I think that um, we're coming out really of a phase of time period where gurus um, really were inoculating people with this is the way this is the one way instead of this yeah like, silver bullet no yeah yeah <laughs> and Christopher so, customers called that one out a
1: while ago out there in the west coast he's like no <laughs> the guru is within. We each have our own guru, and don't go following me, and don't go following anybody else. And follow beautiful. your own truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The point is, is you know, they're called plant secondary metabolites (PSMs), and they're compounds that are made in plants. If this is if this is the the central question you're bringing up, secondary metabolites, that was just a you know, however that got transferred in the game of telephone. Um, it's plant secondary metabolites that we're referring to that are actually um, correlating with flavor, numeral, and nutritive value and are symptomatic of a well functioning microbial ecosystem. And, which is, you know, for the microbes to be functioning well, you have to have air in the soil, you have to have water, you have to have organic matter, you have to have the basic microbes themselves must be present, and you have to have some critical elements for biochemistry to function, as far as I'm concerned. And you get those things in place and get out of the way. Nature's way more sophisticated than we are. Um,
0: yeah, I had someone ask. She'll so take care of it asked me about the um they wanted to see the chemistry equations for like the mole balancing the moles right for all the different exchanges between fungi in each root hair of a tree Uh and i was like oh oh, oh, boy well (laughs) it's like that's just not even possible yet and even in well i think we only know what five percent of the microbial species have been named yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, yeah. How exactly do you propose to get a lab down there, underneath the tree, to <laughs> track out all these ridiculous, you know, orders of <laughs> billions of different, you know, reactions that are occurring in the, you know, <laughs> one times ten to the negative twenty-third of a second. You know, these okay. things. It's, life is so far beyond our ability to like logically understand. Um, I think we can get the we can get the basic broad strokes. The Native Americans said our role, the role of the human animal in nature was caretaker. It's not controller or understander or anything like that, it's just caretaker. Like we can see that the soil needs more cover here, the soil's dry there. We need some seeds over here. great. But what they were able to do, the indigenous communities were able to do with no wheel, no plow, no beast of burden was brilliant and we yeah which is the whole point of permaculture right I mean that's Absolutely. real permaculture was being practiced by indigenous communities globally for at least hundreds of thousands of years I think um, yeah.
0: and I think that's that's so. the, that's been a been a problem in some of the educational avenues in permaculture is that They've not done enough to honor or done anything, in some cases, to honor the indigenous roots um, that that tree is, or branch is based off of. So primary metabolism, right. that would be vegetative, reproductive, and then like maintenance of the plant and immune system, right? I
1: don't know. I'm, where are you going with this? <laughs>
0: well, secondary metabolites, so the primary plant metabolites would be for the vegetative growth, for the reproductive growth, right?
1: Um, that's basically yeah the way I mean the way that it got determined by scientists who created the term plant secondary metabolites is that they the um, the scientists didn't understand that they had any critical role for reproduction. Um, what's the role of carotenoid in carrot reproduction? It doesn't seem to be necessary, so we don't consider it to be a so we call it a secondary pathway.
0: I'm guessing the bionutrient meter was was uh, was the mission to be able to finally measure these secondary metabolites
1: um, well uh, among other things I mean yeah I mean <laughs> technically i mean it's our hypothesis right now i mean we can we can say that we don't i like to say for starters we don't know anything um, <laughs> and let's let's look and see what we can see, but let's look through a biological lens which. Is one which understands that everything is interrelated as opposed to a reductionist lens which is just looking at one thing at a time and our hypothesis is that nature you know has patterns and if we can begin to tease out some of these patterns we might be able to have get, get some guidance and from what we can piece together right now from the literature that's out there it looks like and there's a lot of supporting evidence to suggest that higher levels of these plant secondary metabolites correlates with pest and disease resistance, increased yield, better carbon sequestration, better nutritional value, better shelf life. Um, you know, no need for insecticides, fungicides, fertilizer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the meter was designed to. Um, Facilitate that it's not just the meter, too. I tell people that the meter is the shiny object, like a, you know, um, oh, look, look at what's this little noodle little gizmo. Like the, the meter is not hard to build, it's not that expensive, it's not, you know, it's not cutting edge. The thing that's cutting edge is what is quality? What's the variation between various, you know, levels and ratios of elements and compounds, proteins and lipids and amino acids and nutrients? Um What there is, we know from the literature that there's a massive variation in these nutrient levels. What is the variation? Um, And is there a way we can non-invasively assess that at point of purchase? Because money seems to be the thing that drives the world these days. And, you know, I say most people eat food and just about everybody who eats food spends money to get it. And so if we can establish a process by which people can use their money to buy food that's better for them and their family, that will, by definition, we assume, correlate with practices that are better for the environment, um, and so, you know, the tool is a is a logistical piece to facilitate that process. But, but building the tool not the, not the hard part. It's figuring out what quality is, um, and then simultaneously, or or at least, yeah, I mean, in a parallel fashion, what causes quality? What are the practices? What are the environmental conditions? What are the limiting factors? If you're in this soil type. In this climatic situation, which fertility program, which management practices, which cultivars, which epigenetics correlate with what kind of results? So we can support growers globally of all scales in making best management practice decisions. You know, and we'll let we'll let the permaculturalists, you know, pop the, the data set, and the biodynamic people pop the data set, and the conventional people, and the organic people, and the you know, whatever leaning Um, Let's all of us actually collaborate in this process of learning through a common language we call science to discern what reality is um and you know we a bunch of us have a pretty good idea of what we think the answers are going to be but but let's let's not be hubristic let's be humble and engage in this process and you know right now we've got the internet we've got these handheld devices we've got social media We have the ability for we the people to coordinate and collaborate and learn and act and take our power to create the world we want to see in a non-confrontational fashion, in a collaborative fashion. You know, if we just simply start eating food that tastes good, our degenerative diseases get healed and the climate gets healed and maybe a few other things along the way. I mean, my hypothesis is a bunch of other things along the way will be systemically healed through that process of us actually just choosing food that tastes good. But you're not allowed to take a bite of the food in the grocery store (laughs) um, before you buy it. So we need this little gizmo to (laughs) predict for you whether it's gonna taste good or not.
0: Um, Yeah, so the bricks meter, that's the limitation is you kind of have to Destroy something in the in the market to get uh, to get an understanding. Well, you have to destroy more than a few things. You have to compare. Um, you squish one apple, and then you go to the next bin and squish the next apple, and you
1: go to the next <laughs> bin and squish the next apple, <laughs> and you find out they're all mediocre, and you don't buy any of them. Right? I mean, <laughs> and you got an angry store. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but it's also it's also more effort than the common person's going to engage in. Honestly. So let's just deal with it. Um, let's give them a nice, fancy, shiny gizmo. Um, let's give them the opportunity to engage in this awesome social media collaborative process. You know, let's all get together. You know, one person in every county gets a, gets a the tool. You have a potluck on you know the full moon, and everybody brings their shopping from the grocery store and the farmers market, and a couple of bottles of wine, and you start testing. And once a month, you know, you do an assessment of what's the lay of the land in your bioregion, in your county, whatever, in your city, um, for where the best crops are, and then start telling your friends. Wow. You know, we we the people can, in very short order, this calendar year, we've got the tools now, right? I mean, we're shipping them out. Um, We can do this right now.
0: Um, So so the BFA members are being able to share their information in a networked way so that everyone can benefit. That is amazing.
1: That's the whole point is that it's a mycelial network, right? It's not this top-down reductionist data mining, you know, whatever you want to call it, fascist, misogynist, patriarchal system. It's a biological system. It's 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 a mycelial system we are empowered by sharing with each other and so that's what we're building that's what we've got is this structure which is foundationally you know biological in that sense it's designed to facilitate collaboration and synergy as opposed to um control and power
0: so with a BRICS meter, we're looking at sunlight through the plant juice or plant liquid, or, um, and yeah. we are, we're, we're, we're looking at the, the dissolved solids, which equates to the levels of sugar, and then people are using that to ascertain ripeness, um, sweetness. And then, um, to an extent, uh, how well that plant is behaving. But there's a lot of uncertainty, I think, in, in, in many communities as to how, how sophisticated the BRICS meter is. And so how does, um, how does this new meter you know, kind of respond to that? And how does it differ?
1: Well, the, the Brix meter, the refractometer, Brix was an Austrian chemist, I think, and made his, you know, seminal discovery, I think it was in the 1830s. So, um, you know, I mean, we've been, the refractometer has been the best tool we've had for 190 years. Like, that's embarrassing. Um, obviously, it's not sufficient for what we're looking for right now. It actually, if you're, if you are a farmer, and you get out there and you start, Squishing the leaves of your plants and getting brick sweetings, it'll tell you in very short order relatively how well your plants are doing. There are all kinds of nuances and, like, you know, okay, well, yes, less here than if there fours. But 90 plus percent of the time, a brick of four and a plant leaf means your plants are not particularly healthy. And a brick sweeting of 12 or 14 means that they are. And just about everybody, if they get a refractometer and go out and start testing their plants, is going to be in for a healthy dose of humility. Um so I mean it is a totally valuable tool. Um it doesn't have a battery, you can use it, you know, a thousand times until you drop it on the cement and it'll be fine. So it's really it's low tech, it's really inexpensive. It is valuable, but for the kind of nuance that we're looking for, you know people want to know what the level of vitamin C is or what the level of B twelve is or what the level of beta carotene is in their in their food, um, not that we need to know, but that's the kind of level of specificity that our culture has gotten to. You have a, you know, a label on a box which says this this has you know forty percent of your RDA of vitamin C. Um, you know, minor note, but that's not necessarily true um, because there's a variation in crop levels, and they can't. I mean, the whole RDA thing is premised on the assumption that all crops are the same, that every carrot has exactly the same amount of, of vitamin C and, and car- carotene in it, which is patently false. So, um, you know, there's a whole other conversation there, which we don't need to necessarily get into. But, um, you know, what we're doing with the tool, with the bio meter, is giving people the ability to directly assess relative levels and ratios of elements and compounds in food in real time. Um, and the way the dashboard is set up, you can choose whether you want the simple answer. This is at the 85th percentile. This is at the 40th percentile. You can see, um, you know, all the way down to the to the raw data, and you can actually build your own ca- correlations and calibrations if you want. So, um, yeah, we're looking at something much more nuanced um, and empirical. I guess that's what we're trying to. That's what we're accomplishing.
0: Amazing. And this is all to facilitate really proving for the first time that, or trying to prove, because I mean, I, I think, I mean, talking to Peter McCoy of Radical Mycology really opened my eyes to the fact that when you when you say, when, when we say, or anyone says that something is a certain way in nature, it's always, there's a piece that we leave off on the ending that, that Peter McCoy always adds in is like, that we have found in testing. Yes, there always could be something we haven't tested yet or a plant that doesn't actually form that fungal relationship or we don't know. There could be, we don't know.
1: We we know almost nothing. <laughs> I mean we're still we're still stuck on the physical plane, which is only 5% of reality according to the physicists. You know, all of our science, all of our tools is dealing with 5% of reality, and even there we don't know very much. There's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a lot more going on,
0: and we're stuck. And microbes do amazing, 12%. magical things, right? Absolutely. What's that? I said, and we're stuck arguing over the five percent. <laughs> well, if we could see the rest
1: of it, we would stop arguing because we could see how it all fits together. We just don't see the that life is this, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this sea of intelligent consciousness, transcendent, you know, love, which you know is coming into form in all these different multifaceted ways but we're busy looking at the at the results not the cause and um yeah we have to work our way back up the up the chain of what what's really going on um but that's a much larger conversation
0: yeah i had charles eisenstein on here and, and we we talked about biophilia as the linchpin um and the and, and the critical reason why the environmentalist movement has failed up until this point is because they left biophilia out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's got a lot to offer. I'm I'm I don't I do not i do not know him, but I'm 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 actually hoping to get him to come speak at our conference this year. Yeah.
0: Um, That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking <laughs> of the conference, this is the soil and nutrition conference. And when I, saw, the one. when I saw that, and my students are passing around that, that amazing John Kemp talk. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, they're learning so much. And I think that this is really um, for many people that have a hard time listening or pausing or giving time to this conversation in their daily lives, this link between the gut and our soil this understanding that we are the soil is going to ring the bell, I think, for a lot more people. Uh, do you want to speak
1: Understanding to that? that? we are we are an ecosystem, not an organism. I mean, that's the foundational, like, you know, you just got to deal with it. You know, what percent of the cells in your body are human? Maybe 10? You know, like people think that they're an animal and no, they're an ecosystem. The vast majority of the cells in your body are not human. Without all the other kingdoms in your body, you're dead. You have a critical symbiotic relationship with them. It's exactly the same way with plants. All the quote-unquote higher organisms, plants and animals and fungi, have critical symbiotic relationships with the other other kingdoms. Quote-unquote. You know there is no such thing as an animal or a plant. Like they don't exist without this symbiosis. This is a foundational piece. And it really does give people a good solid, you know, like uh-huh. aha, <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like we 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 look at lichens and we're like, wait a second, there's more than two here, and it's this like, <laughs> thing. like I published a new paper, and and it's like, well, if that's true, what the heck are we? <laughs>
1: Well, this is—it's just—it's simple logic, right? I mean, this is why science is a wonderful frame for this whole process. Is like, this is a language that we can, you know, generally agree on—is the, the the scientific process if it's done well, I think. Um, and look, look at what it's showing us. Look at what it's telling us. It's just telling us everything that the enlightened masters and the indigenous communities and you know the grandmothers and everybody else have been telling us. Um, it's all these different modes are, are coming to the same conclusion. It's really exciting. Yeah, it's no, really exciting. It
0: feels like uh, even as things are getting so so scary, you know, if you turn on the news, and you're paying attention to what's going on politically. Even as these things are happening, we're it's almost like it's driving people to go even further and work harder and open their hearts even further. Could you yeah. paint a picture of the future as you see it? If these bio nutrient meters just become part of everyone, you know, every mom's purse has one of these and, you know, it's like everyone is constantly using these. Every farmer has one. It's just something that's in their back pocket. What, what is, what, what's that future going to look like? Uh-huh. Um,
1: well, for starters, they don't need to be in every mom's purse, um, um and in fact my hope is that they'll be in your smartphone in a couple of years and so it does not need to be a standalone instrument and I think that's entirely plausible um but for the time being it is a standalone you know instrument um <clears throat> as we begin to build this database out which you know we've just, it's not, it's, we, we've, got, we've got calibrations for some crops, not all crops, and we begin to say, that this is what a good carrot looks like, this is what a bad carrot looks like. This is what good milk is, this is what bad milk is. Um, you know, We're going to be able to go to the grocery store, flash a light at Organic Valley, flash a light at Stonyfield, and if 25 people do that around the country, and 24 of them get a reading that says that Organic Valley is better than Stonyfield. Um, I think the word's going to get out. I think, I think the supply chain is going to hear about this, and I think that they, you know, in their deep, in their hearts of hearts, want to do the right thing, want to be producing food that's better, and especially if they have the um, incentive of losing market share if they don't. I think that um, a lot of the big players in the food industry. Um, not just the small growers, but the but the broader industry is going to have a strong incentive to start, um, you know, looking to their farmers to be producing a certain nutritional caliber. Um, simultaneously, we're correlating all of these results with nutrient levels in crops and pest and disease resistance to carbon sequestration, and you know, developing the back end capacity for farmers to be compensated for sequestering carbon, um, and. You know, just on that one side note for a second, I, I think we can, you know, reasonably sequester a half a percent organic matter per year, like through growing food on 10 billion acres of land. If, I mean, if we were to look at the world's agricultural system as an opportunity and were to support growers globally of all sizes in improving their practices. Um, A half a percent organic matter sequestration per annum is pretty doable. Some people are doing one or one and a half percent, but we'll say half a percent. That's, you know, what, 10, 15 parts per million of CO2 per year being sequestered. Um, So literally in a decade, we have CO2 levels in the atmosphere that are down to where they were in 1750. Um, Like, not slowing the rise, but totally Just dropping it right down. At which point it can start to come out of the oceans, right back into the atmosphere, back into the land. Um, We can deal with the issues of ocean acidification, et cetera. Um, You know, there's one, there's one piece of a puzzle that people are stressed out about, which we can totally deal with. Um, You know, another issue people have is the aquifers being polluted with nitrates, the dead zones in the oceans and the lakes, the You know, uh, the lack of insects or birds because of all the uh, chemicals being sprayed. Um, You know, my understanding is that on none of the first six days did God invent fertilizer. um, That all plants in nature have evolved the functional capacity with symbiotic relationships with microbes to harvest all the nutrition that they need. So we functionally should not be. Adding fertilizer, whether it's compost or blood meal or bone meal or liquid fish or you know compost, of chicken manure, urea, triple superphosphate, whatever it is, if, you know, if you are producing, if you if you're managing the environment such that the plants are healthy, it's unnecessary and actually counterproductive. Um, so then, if the plants are actually harvesting everything that they need from the environment and they're able to build these plant secondary metabolites and they're physiologically pest and disease resistant, there's no need for insecticides or fungicides. Um, so along with the environmental benefits of all that, we have the effect on agribusiness, which I would say is um, that they would be making less money. And anybody who's you know gotten involved in the Farm Bill every five years knows that agribusiness basically writes it. Um, because they've got the money, because they've got the senators, et cetera. So, if you want to talk about food policy, you know, all that kind of stuff, we have the ability to shift the power dynamics in that world by actually building the solutions we're looking for. Um, in fact, I think many large agribusiness companies will see the writing on the wall and use their massive global supply chains to produce, provide inoculants and amendments, which is great as far as I'm concerned. Awesome, let them use their amazing supply chain to facilitate transformation of agriculture globally, ASAP. That's how we're gonna get to the 10 billion acres level, is through collaboration with those entities, which are not necessarily adversaries, I don't think. Um, So what's the implication on human health? I mean, we didn't really talk about it, um, but, You know, since the end of the Second World War, <clears throat> USDA numbers are that the average nutrient levels in food have been decreasing dramatically. You know, seventy percent, three hundred percent, thirty percent, whatever it is, this crop, this element, um, this compound, and so we're you know three generations in, plus or minus, to um, nutritional deficiency, um, and. The term is epigenetics, and it basically is environmental conditions affecting genetic expression. And we've got people with all these genetic malformations, which correlate directly with mineral deficiencies and toxins in the environment. Um, and we have epidemic levels of degenerative disease, chronic illness, not just in the elderly, but in the all age ranges. Um, that's a symptom of this... You know, multiple generations of insufficient nutrition, um, toxins, et cetera. So luckily, as I understand it, you get a new body every six months or so. I mean, your blood takes a couple of weeks, your bones take seven years, but average it out. You get a new body every six months and your body is built out of what you eat. So if you start eating food that's more nutritious, more flavorful, um, and your body starts to be building itself out of that, um, I think we heal ourselves out of disease. I mean, I think this is what really, food is medicine. Let let thy food be thy medicine, right? Hippocrates, et cetera. Um, when it's flavorful, when it's aromatic, it's actually food. If it's junk, it's not food. It can either be junk or it can be food, but it can't be both. Um, um, so what's the implication then on on pharmaceutical industry, on medical device industry, on the massive load of debt being carried by the federal government, people's insurance bills, um, this heavy, heavy weight to deal with disease that just being borne by everyone—you um, know—presumably that would be lifted, or at least significantly. Um, what happens when people aren't weak, sick, tired, worn out, burned out anymore is they've got more energy. In the same way, a healthy plant is able to produce more because it's simply because it's healthy. Um, you know, a healthy person is able to do more; they're able to be more. They're able to have a more positive effect on their community, on their family, um, in their work. They're able to tune into, I think, their higher nature. There's a whole other level here of harmonics. You said you were a music musician and a music teacher, or whatever. i you know, I went to university for music initially, and you know, we, you don't want to get into the higher octaves of reality. What, what is dark matter? What is dark energy? You know, what are the inspirations that guide us? Um, you know, in physics, how do they, <laughs> how does it work? How do we tune into insight? And how do we stay centered in our, in our deeper nature? I think there's some physics to it. I think it has to do with vibration and harmonics. And um, I think your biochemistry is actually, in, is in physics, a vibration. And when you're vibrating out of tune, you can't tune into your higher nature. And as your body begins to be building itself properly out of proper nutrients, which all have a frequency, you become more coherent as kind an of individual. So um you know as far as the the political morass, you know, um I think people are functionally relatively incoherent and until they become you know more harmonious, um I don't think we should expect meaningful change in the political domain. So um yeah, I mean the, the the idea here is that by by shifting by using economic leverage to shift the way food is grown, um, we can begin to put into place all these sort of symbiotic feedback loops. So, what does that look like with a tool? How many tools are in the in you know, people's purses or back pockets? Um, I don't know what the number is. Um, we're just basically starting and doing what we can. We're a We're an educational nonprofit. We're, you know, a 501c3 (laughs) charitable organization. Um, Everything we're doing is in the commons. Um, Everything is not proprietary. Everything is running on donations. There's no, there's no investment in what we're doing. There's no IP. There's no black box. Everything's in the commons. And so our thought is, you know, as we each engage in our own way, um, whether it's having a little house party and inviting your friends over and, and testing what you're buying and uploading that into the, into the cloud, or as a farmer, you know, doing data collection on your management practices and environmental conditions, and sending samples into the lab to build the data sets. Um, wherever it is, telling your friends, um, holding a house party, fundraiser, whatever, um, giving us five dollars a month. You know, that's one of our big pushes right now. Is who wants to give us five dollars a month? Um, you know, if we had twenty thousand people doing that, we'd be good to go. We'd have all the resources we need to pull this thing off. So. It's a, it's a series of steps, but, um, you know, I think what's so exciting right now is that because we have three generations of poor nutrition and so many of us are, or in our families are physiologically struggling, there's a real visceral need to get solutions. Um, and you know, the solution I think is really the food that you build your body out of being actually food. And so, um, you know, just helping align people around that understanding and facilitating those, those purchases. I think everything else is a fait accompli, you
0: know, it's really hard to know what is, is even safe when you have $140 million of, you know, organic fraud coming out of Iowa. Um, You know, it's like like people are trying to buy organic. They're trying to do the right thing, but they can't actually test in a way. Everybody
1: wants to do the right thing. Everybody, people want to do the right thing. We're good at heart. And yeah, and so, and right now we've been trained to engage in this religious situation. You know, you don't have a direct relationship with God. The priest does. You know, the certification agency will tell you whether this is approved or not. Right, you don't actually discern for yourself. You have to you 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 divulge your power to some certification. Okay, it's non-GMO. Okay, it's organic. Okay, it's local. Okay, it's biodynamic. Okay, it's permaculture. Okay, it's what the label does. Your the point is, it's not binary. It's not a binary, right? It's not good bad. It's everything is a continuum. And these carrots are 14 at the 14th percentile. You know, these ones are at the 40th percentile. These ones are at the 80th percentile none's perfect none's horrible they're just everything's on a continuum and that's the way i think life works and that's the the sort of the shift we need to get into um which i think i mean in my experience people are extremely you know receptive i I have a hard time having this conversation with people and having them say no (laughs) you know it doesn't happen (laughs) like okay that makes a lot of sense all right yeah. Okay. So, what's <laughs> so you're, you're probably out of something.
0: What's so interesting is this concept of 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 growth mode. This concept of like maybe even a growth mindset. But people, you know, are either in defense in, in, in immune system or they're, they're they're finally in growth mode and they can start healing. And you can't be really in both. Is is what my understanding is. And so this concept of all of our land, our soil, and our food shifting that, that the, 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 the elements with which we re- regenerate and restore our, our physical bodies and power our thoughts and our, and our feelings, we'd be shifting all that into growth mode because all the food we've been eating that, that has been part of this degenerative system is not coming out of a growth mode, it's coming out of a degenerative mode. Um, a scarcity. Foundationally,
1: foundationally, yes. Right. Exactly. And so
0: I'm, I'm just, it, it's like we actually don't know what potentially would happen if we just start flipping things into growth mode and being able to track it. One of the things that occurred to me, do we have a way to measure in animals or in humans um, this, uh, an, an analog to the secondary metabolite?
1: Um. I mean, I'm not much of a human physiologist or whatever. Um, totally, I'm I'm not even an agronomist. I'm just a farmer, <laughs> secretly, you know, <laughs> trying to run a nonprofit. But um, my understanding is that there are um, all kinds of biomarkers in humans and other animals that are symptomatic of all kinds of other dynamics. Um, so. Yes, absolutely. And the tool that we're building now, I mean, the way it works, it basically, you know, through spectroscopy, everything in chemistry is a vibration in physics. And so it flashes a light at something and reads the light that bounces back and it can tell you what it is. thats you know, there's no reason you can't have your, your Fitbit flashing a light at your wrist and assessing what's going on with you and saying, you know, you need some really good celery today um, you know, you could do with some beef broth. Um, there's, there's absolutely, I mean,
0: it's entirely plausible. I had a dentist that was able to use this device and I don't know if this is story or whatnot, but it, the science is now emerging, but they had, they, they couldn't treat people in space, um, in a traditional format. And so they were using light to treat people in space, according to this dentist. And he and this other um, doctor were experimenting with it. And they were testing like bioceramics for teeth with it. They were running all these tests with it. And it all was light-based, which is, it seems just too simple or too easy, I think, to most people. (laughs) But we're all made of that that light. We're all, everything is, you know, um, is sort of reflecting back the light that we get. Um, in our actions. Physical form
1: is just slowed down light. I mean, you know, e equals MC squared. We've known this for a hundred years. Um, it's, you know, it's, well, like I was saying about dark matter and dark energy, 95% of reality being on a frequency range we can't find. But if you talk to the quantum physicists, they're like, yeah, you know, the physical plane is coming into and going out of existence at a ra- rapid rate. And it's based in this other level of frequency or, something um yeah yeah, yeah i mean that the problem too. is as far as <laughs> i'm concerned is that a, a lot of the things we've been learning a lot of things have been taught come from people who are you know trying to make money yeah off of us and harvest us harvest our life force harvest our our cash as their business model and that's the that's the you know um that that model is the is the is the, is the mistake And, um, you know, that's not how life works. That's, 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 that's the the point. And as long as we are engaging in that model, as long as we're wage slaves, as long as we're, you know, I mean, I don't know (laughs) the broader implications I didn't go to, you know, but I think, I think we're animals, we belong in nature. I don't think we need to be working, you know, long hours under stress to barely make it by. I think when we understand how to work well with nature, um, it's just going to be so much more appealing to live in that way that that's where culture is going to go. I don't think we want to be living in cities, um, personally, but you know, obviously I'm biased. Um, so yeah, the so deeper implications are all quite, <laughs> quite compelling. <clears throat>
0: Absolutely. Well, I have one last question and, uh, so many of us get locked into different ways of doing things. And so I really like to showcase how everyone's doing things differently. How do you make soil on your farm? Do you like compost or anything like that? Or do you add inoculums and transform what's there? Or how do you how are you making um, soil?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, um I like to start with the the earth and um, identify what it needs for life to flourish. And so if it's too dry, it needs water. If it's you know, too low in organic matter, it needs mulch or, or cover crops. If it's, there's not enough life there, it needs inoculation. Um, if it's weathered and worn, it needs some minerals. Um, I think in most cases, you know, there's only a couple of things that are keeping life from flourishing. And the most efficient, intelligent thing we can do is identify what those things are that life needs to flourish, provide them and really have as light a touch as possible. So um, where I live in New England, you know, um, we got plenty of water. Um, We, um, you know, the soils are are generally a little bit tight, um, which in many cases correlates with, you know, mineral, mineral deficiencies. So, um, you know, I think that the spectrum of microbes that are present is nowhere near what was present 500 years ago when white man came. Um, so, you know, the couple of things I do generally around here are inoculate for sure. Um, I I generally recommend inoculation. Like I tell people, when I'm giving my courses, if there's one thing you're going to do, like best bang for your buck, least time, least effort is inoculate. Um, so I think I mean I think it's, it's a biological system and so inoculation is really powerful and the broadest spectrum of, of families and kingdoms as you can get the better um, but we definitely add minerals um, you know simple rock minerals granite or basalt finally ground that you can find at a quarry for two dollars a ton is wonderful um, sea salt you know literally or even seawater if you live close to the ocean. Um, You know, 75 pounds of sea salt per acre will provide a full spectrum of of trace elements um, that are probably no longer present in the root zone, um, and all of the lanthanide group elements and things that are really going to be facilitating some pretty high-order enzymatic function. Um, So, uh, microbes and minerals, I think, are, are foundational. Air, water, and food organic matter are are also critical. So. Um, I basically assess a dynamic for those limiting factors and say, how can I create a reality where they're going to be present? So um, that's broadly for people anywhere. Um, you know, what I did on my farm when we when we first purchased it, it was an old, worn-out dairy farm. Um, the land was really tight and you know, growing goldenrod and and um, milkweed. Um, was I Identified a full spectrum of, of minerals that I thought were necessary, broadcasted them across the land. Um, um, came through with the tiller in the back of the tractor and tilled into the sod, made my beds, um, planted the plants, and inoculation was something that I did at seed and at transplant. Um, I put some drip tape down and put some mulch down, and off they went. And two months later, Earthworms were there that weren't there before. Um, The soil was dark and aromatic and had structure. When previously it was tight and light and had no aroma. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's really, really easy. It's really, really easy to work with nature. And often it should be inexpensive as well.
0: What plants were you using?
1: What plants? Yeah. Um, just j- j- garden plants, you know. I mean, cabbage and cauliflower and tomatoes and broccoli and peppers and eggplants and potatoes and onions and parsley and you know, oh, awesome. Whatever the usual mix.
0: <laughs> yeah, I find I find C4 grasses tend to have like they just bring so much biomass, and I, I like using them at times. So I have a yeah, question. but if
1: you're but if you're backyard garden, that's not. I mean, yes. I mean, C4 grasses are going to sequester carbon and build soil faster than vegetables will. For sure. But that's for people to have pasture, not people that have gardens.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or if they really are addicted to all those different colors. <laughs> like I kind <of> like me. <laughs> yeah. So something that 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 is my understanding, but maybe you could complicate it and add more to it. That would be wonderful. But the minerals we add when we're adding them to like composts or compost teas are really to prime the the microbes that are there to to get used to feeding on that and releasing that the potential of that to the plants and then you put it out into the the greater situation and then they are able to unlock that in situ right because you 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 bred up and trained those specifics is is, is that the case
1: (laughs) yeah okay well this is where um elaine and i might have a you know a, a technical conversation
0: yeah um, this is where this is exactly edge and i just came to me i want i want to know <laughs> yeah
1: i i love to use the example of b12 um you know people who have been a vegan or vegetarian have been told that you need to supplement your diet with vitamin b12 because there's not enough in your plant-based diet um i guess i wouldn't be a vegetarian just vegan but um it's a concept people are familiar with. And you know, if you don't get enough B12, you become lethargic, weak, you know, you know, if you really don't become get enough B12, you become dead. I mean, we need B12 to function and the amount you need in your body would fit on the head of a pin. It's, it's a really, really small quantity, but it's critical. Um, um, 80% of the microbes that have been identified are also B12 dependent. As in, if there's no B12 in the soil, they're dead. So, all the compost tea, all the inoculation, all the whatever Bokashi you put in, if there's no B12 present in the environment, they die, and then you have to reapply compost tea, Um, which you shouldn't have to do, as far as I'm concerned. If you have the environment well-established and you inoculate, life should be able to take it from there. But that's maybe a different conversation. B12 is called by scientists cyanocobalamin, and basically is one atom of cobalt with a few amino acids attached to it. And the amino acids are not in short supply. It's the cobalt that's in short supply. And a lot of soil doesn't have much cobalt. So um, you can put the whatever, the kelp or whatever into your brew that maybe has some cobalt in it. But if you, and then you can cause those microbes to reproduce because they've got the B12 and they can go through their life cycles because they need it. But then if you put those microbes back out into the soil where there isn't that cobalt or it's at insufficient levels, they're going to die off. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, Elaine is quoted as saying that all the minerals you need are present in the soil everywhere on the planet. Um, And if you ask her in detail, in the top six inches, you know, my understanding is she says, well, in the top 24 feet which is what a well-established perennial polyculture should have access to, right? with those deep-rooted trees and everybody else, they are pulling from that kind of a level in the soil. So, it's um, an the subsoil. Well, in reality, yes, all those nutrients are in the soil, but how far down? Are they in the top six inches? What's the aerobic zone? If your soil is tight at one inch, there's no air at two inches. The microbes can't breathe; they're dead. They can't access what's at four inches because they're dead. Um, so, ensuring a sufficient level of, you know, critical elements in the root zone, I think, is a really, really intelligent thing to do. And I strongly advocate that, you know, we need nothing more than the rocks that the continent is, continents are made from and the water that the oceans are made from to do that. Between rock dust and seawater, we can remineralize the planet at functionally next to nothing as far as cost. I mean, think about the developing world. Think about the the tropical zones where glaciation hasn't happened for millions of years. Those soils are deeply weathered. Um, they're called laterite soils, and a little bit of finely crushed rock dust, which you know, literally costs. At least you know around here, two dollars a ton or four dollars a ton. I'm not sure how much it costs in India, but I don't think it has to be much more. Um, you know, can facilitate that mineral availability to that the microbes need to function. And so, um, you know, I generally tell people, don't take my word for anything. Who am I? I'm just some random guy. If it sounds compelling, experiment, and nature will tell you what's true and what's not. And every environment's different. So there's no one size fits all strategy for everywhere. Um, you know, we can study our geological history, we can study our, you know, agricultural history. We can identify basic underlying imbalances in our regions. We should be doing that. We should be looking at our, you know, at our at bioregion, identifying limiting factors systemically and developing pathways for them to be systemically revitalized. Um yeah, I mean there's massive opportunities all over the place. Um, you know, John Kemp. You said people were passing around his audio recordings. He talks oh, about yeah. photosynthetic capacity, and you know, a, a plant leaf should, is like a solar panel. It's collecting sunlight, converting it into sugar, and if you, it it can convert as many as much sunlight as as it has solar panels or chloroplasts. And if there are limiting factors as far as building chloroplasts are concerned, what ends up happening is the plant only has 15 percent. Solar panel capacity—it's 85% of the sunlight is not being used because it needs one quart of liquid minerals in a foliar spray to be applied per acre, and you can go from 15% of photosynthetic capacity to 50% or whatever. So, I think minerals play a really important role in this broader puzzle. Um, I absolutely—I call it a biological system because its life is what it's all about, but life needs certain things to function, and we can't, we we ignore that at our peril.
0: Yeah, and Australia has that same situation where glaciation didn't occur, and so there is a strong emphasis on minerals um, in their soil sections of their books. yeah, and I've been, I've been turning on these ideas and, and, and reading, on, reading your stuff and reading up. And so that's really awesome that you provided us with that insight. Because, as you said, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, all these details and everything. But if you're doing the continental rocks and you're doing the seawater, the sea salt, um, you're going to be able to bring it back. That is so empowering. And-
1: Let's look at let's look at the developing world where we've got hundreds of millions of people starving to death because their soils are wearing out because they've been you know the soils are weak to begin with and they made the mistake of doing green revolution fertilizers for 30 years. Now they're starving to death, committing suicide, selling their daughters into prostitution. This is real. Right? Hundreds of millions of people globally like on the edge of starvation because they need some rock dust and some seawater. Like like, what do we need to rebuild that soil? You need some basic minerals. You know, you put the microbes in, and they die. And you put them back in again, and they die again. Um, I mean, it, 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 we don't, it does not have to be expensive. You know, a lot of people advocate, you know, compost. Just put 10 tons of compost down per acre. Well, that's not going to happen in India, right? In Tanzania, they don't have 10 tons of compost per acre. That's not a viable strategy. What is a viable strategy for revitalizing these desertified portions of the planet? Um, you know, I, 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 think I, we, I'm pretty sure we got it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we got it.
0: Yeah. That is just so awesome. I am so glad I asked you those questions. <laughs> oh man, My students are going to go totally wild with this too. Um, and I'm going to have right. to go back, refilm something that I think, which is always really rewarding. Um, I know a lot of people, uh, get caught up with the game of who's right and they find themselves yeah. stressed and worried and all this stuff. But science is the game of what's, what's, what's more to learn.
1: What's real. What's true. I mean, if we don't integrate the wisdom of the permaculturalists, if we don't integrate the wisdom of the, of the biodynamic community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we're missing out. The agroecologists, I mean, all these different communities have really, really important insights. Oh, yeah. And when they're, I mean, when they're integrated, guys, we're all on the same team. We're not fighting each other. It's not we're better, you're worse. It's all we're all on the same team. As soon as we get that, we're we're golden. As soon as we get that, we're we're all set.
0: And I think we're 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 really emerging into that. I mean, I've yeah, I I, totally. I come from I'm a third born boy. You know what I mean? So I'm like, where's my brothers and sisters to? gather around me before I go and do anything. <laughs> so my <laughs> online course has over 70 educators involved. I have over 130 affiliates now, and I'm always building and growing the community, but in a way that's like really lateral. Um, I, I do 50-50 splits with my affiliates. I, I just feel like we're bringing yeah. it into a totally different era where that, that farmer in Tanzania... Is as, is as much a part of my family as that guy in New Jersey is. They're a human, just like we all are. Right. For but starters, I, but I think that they've got children. Yeah, we have, families. have these boundaries yeah. in, around our, our definitions, and I think those are finally really falling down. And I think even this whole, like, the, the border wall thing, and it yeah. is the last dying gasp of that way of thinking
1: it's these it's these boundaries life doesn't do that right life does synergy and symbiosis and so when we've got these 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 false boundaries that are i mean uh, we've got so much privilege here in north america it's not even funny right is that fair is it fair for us to have so much more resources than everybody else no it's not fair so if people want to come here and you know what i mean i don't know i just it's like the real answer is to help create reality being so empowering everywhere that people are, are, you know, can have, can be, be happy anywhere. I and mean, that's the answer is not to like wall ourselves off and say to you guys, you know, you're screwed. It's to say, you know, how can we help?
0: Absolutely. And I, I, I absolutely feel like bionutrient.org is where we all should go. We should be able to all, you know,
1: support
0: what you add $5 a month and participate five dollars a month yeah seriously
1: like seriously like just make a donation to five dollars a month you'll be a member you'll get discounts to the courses discounts at the conference you know you know all kinds of shit but it's like come on guys we can do this (laughs) so anyway i don't like to raise money but it is a critical component you know you do have to have some oh yeah. yeah
0: Oh well, thank you so much for just schooling me, man. and so many of the people who watch my work, you know, um, have been this, this 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 little like voice on my shoulder really as I've gone. They've been like, "Oh, you should listen to Chris Trump, or you should listen to Dan Kiprud," and I've really gone through that. And to to have you on here was so special. Um, and to have thank you
1: very much for having me. Yeah. yeah.
0: Great so questions, excited. you know, <laughs> <There you're excited.
1: laughs> so the conversation is at the caliber of the uh, interlocutors. So, yeah, you obviously are obviously are doing a lot of wonderful things. So, Thanks. yeah, I mean, we're all in it together. So we'll just we just we keep supporting each other and learning from each other and empowering each other. And then we all win. It's not like I only win if you lose. No, I win when we all win. That's, <laughs> that's
0: how life works. That's how life works. Wow, that was incredible. Dan is so amazing. I love the joy. I love the perspective. I love the wisdom and the humility that he brings to the table. And, oh, man, the whole idea that you need cobalt in your in your mineral mineral profile to form b12 to support 80 percent of the soil life that's just a game changer that kind of caveat changes everything how you're doing doing compost teas and then to think about the fact that yes all soils do have everything that plants need but if you've got a compaction layer anaerobic zone if you're stuck in a situation where those nutrients those minerals are not bioavailable in a close proximity maybe they're feet down maybe they're 24 feet down this is really powerful to dive into of course trees are gonna reach it of course a really healthy polyculture a permaculture food forest they're gonna be able to reach all that and unlock that and use all that but that new garden you're establishing the topsoil and that is such a game changer to understand the difference just have that perspective and those are just two of the highlights from many that we covered in this talk I'm very excited to learn more from Dan to talk more with Dan and I'll be sending him my my textbooks and my work and we're gonna be continuously working together on improving it making that better getting all the different people involved is the key to moving the regenerative economy closer to all of us and all of our lives. And, you know, as, as we talk about, you know, science is the search for truth. Permaculture is, is the, it is the pursuit of a permanent culture. So I hope that you take the challenge. I hope that you step in to the creative role Start making soil, start building soil, start unlocking the full potentials of your soil. And as always, I'm Matt Powers. Grow abundantly, live regeneratively, and learn daily. And I will see you soon. Have an amazing week.